Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Mahani Jahangiri, and welcome to Conversations with My Dog. Today's guest is Sean McCormack, head vet at Tales.com, has a huge involvement in animal welfare and a passionate dedication to dogs. Tales.com found that 59% of the nation's dogs have never spent an extended period of time alone at home since coming home with their owners. Sean is on hand today to address concerns on separation anxiety and how to prepare these puppies for post-lockdown living. It's an honor to welcome Sean on the show and hello, Namapa, Sean. Thank you so much for having Namaste. me on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I, I just, yeah, thank you for giving your time because you are so involved in so many things. I mean, I, I checked everything that you're doing and I mean, it's not just this education about separation anxiety, but also, you know, the banning, uh, um, you know, cropping ears, do- uh, ear cropping and dogs, and, you know, a- arriving at signing petitions. You you got about 65,000 uh, signatures for this. Is that correct? It's reached over 70,000 now, which is what? great. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we're over 70,000 now. There's a big push last night. Quite a few um, celebs and social media influencers pushed it to their followers and things. So we're really, really gaining traction. We're hoping it hits 100,000 so that we can uh, get it in front of government and change the law around importing ear crop dogs. It's something I'm re- very, very passionate about. <laughs> it's a rising trend on social media. I, I said that it's still a rising trend. Is that correct? It is. Unfortunately, you know, ear cropping is illegal in the UK. It's considered a surgical mutilation, which means it's removing healthy tissue just for aesthetic benefit. There's no benefit to the dog. It's just for fashion. It's for a look. Um, and it's illegal here. But people, unfortunately, are getting around that legal loophole by importing dogs that have already had their ears cropped legally or illegally in their country of origin. Um, and that's been driven by celebrity culture and social media trends and advertising. And, and um, unfortunately, it's not illegal in the US. And we see a lot of these dogs like Pitbulls and Dobermans and kind of status type breeds um, with cropped ears in the US. And that kind of culture, that normalization of the look is seen as desirable now. And we're just seeing a, an upward trend in cases of these dogs cropping up in the UK with cropped ears. 
And unfortunately, what's what's the real uh, worrying issue is that the, the legal loophole being, being allowed to import cropped dogs is actually a smokescreen for unscrupulous breeders chopping puppies' ears off behind closed doors in the UK and pretending they've been imported. So we're seeing awful cases of puppies that have had um, really brutal jobs done on their ears and they got infected or, or whatever, or they've been really badly um badly healing um popping up and they're being done behind closed doors a number of breeders have been prosecuted for that so far and how can you ever get a hold over this i mean how could i mean there's so many breeders out there i mean how can we control this all of it like the puppy farming the breeding the that it's it's such a popularity it's unbelievable how can we control this how i know i know and uh, you know it's there's so many issues out there when we talk about dog welfare and, and things i think focusing on on kind of one thing at a time the the issue with the ear cropping is that we can control it very very well if we close that legal loophole that allows the importation of dogs because then we will never ever again have a young dog with cropped ears that has been done legally in the country because they're not they haven't been allowed to be imported and if they do have cropped ears and they're under a certain age after the ban of imports they must have been done illegally behind closed doors and we can raise a prosecution case. So um, it's a really, really good example of how petitioning the government to change the law on something can have a massive effect on um, dog welfare and stop this brutal mutilation of puppies um, that we're seeing for fashion. It's just a crazy, crazy trend. And social media has a lot to answer for and celebrities and influencers you know, have been buying these dogs because they come with a high price tag and they think they're a status animal. They think they're cool and it's becoming trendy. So we really need to stamp it down now before it becomes a bigger, bigger problem. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that celebrities haven't done their research. I mean, I cannot believe influences. They should know when they when they present a dog. I mean, look what happened with Lady Gaga. huh? I mean, and she, she's really gone gone all the way. I, I mean, this is just a horrendous story. I mean, the poor poor dog walker, walker was shot or something like that. Yeah. I mean, all of it. We, what do you think about social media and presenting your dog all the time on social media? Is that is there a danger to it? I mean, generally, you know, uh, you also have spoken about puppy stealing and things like that, that we shouldn't really show our dogs so much on social media and things like that. Is that social media can be detrimental? Yeah, I'm not so sure about like not showing your dog on social media, but I think um, not like we have a responsibility, you know, as kind of... Um, dog owners, dog lovers, um, also brands have a responsibility about what they show with dogs and things. So we shouldn't be normalizing anything that can be harmful for, to dogs. So for instance, celebrities who have bought an ear cropped dog, for example, okay, they may say they didn't know at the time that that was a surgical thing. They, they thought it was a harmless procedure or they thought the dog's ears were naturally like that. I've heard that from some of these people. Um, but I would say you still then at that point in time shouldn't be parading your dog around and influencing people to think that that's a good look. So I would urge against that. Um, I think with the rise we're seeing in dog theft because dogs have really become hot property, haven't they? Um, we've seen, you know, with since the pandemic began, the, the the demand for puppies has absolutely skyrocketed, and we've seen puppies being sold for three thousand, four thousand, five thousand pounds. And the certain trendy breeds that are very, very popular right now, like your, you know, French bulldogs, miniature dachshunds, pugs, things like that, going for upwards of five and ten thousand pounds. So actually, maybe there is an argument to say, don't be going around advertising your location and your dog when actually there's now criminal operations seeing cash signs when it comes to stealing and reselling on dogs on the Internet.
It's unbelievable. And funnily enough, uh, you mentioned, I think it was the Lorraine show, show that um, the dogs that they're stealing are actually genetically quite weak and vulnerable, like dachshounds. And, um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I do talk about this a lot, and I always um, preface it by saying, I love dogs. I, you know, I got into this career because I'm absolutely dog mad and I love all dogs, but I do hate what we've done to some dog breeds. I think we've gone very far with um, selective breeding and, and things and pedigree breeding for appearance in certain breeds that actually means they are more prone to genetic health problems related to their appearance. So the classic example, you know, would be the flat, extreme flat face breeds like pugs, French bulldogs, English bulldogs. A lot of them are very compromised in their breathing ability to breathe and, and um, lose heat as well. They're prone to heat stress and heat stroke. Um, they have bulging eyes that are prone to kind of drying out or injury and things. They're compressed and shortened spines and lack of tail or a curled tail can cause spinal um, issues. They have lots of skin folds that we kind of find their facial features endearing, believe it or not, because they look like a human infant. They've got all the facial ratios and, and structure of a human infant. So obviously it kind of appeals to our subconscious nature to nurture them and to find them super, super cute. You only have to look at a, a Frenchie or a pug Instagram post and see everyone going, oh my God, they're so cute, I want one. But what's hidden beneath that design that we've created for them is potentially a lot of suffering or just a kind of a compromised existence where they can't run around as um, energetically and as boisterously as certain other breeds because they're, they're, they're low on oxygen or they're not able to breathe as well or they run out of steam quicker because they can't, um, can't, can't breathe as well. So I think there's a lot of hidden problems with pedigree dogs that people just don't really engage with when they're thinking i want a dog and we've become almost this consumer society that wants a dog now or tomorrow and we buy one on the internet and it's almost like what brand of dog do you like what brand of dog are you seeing everywhere and some of the most trendy and popular and expensive breeds of dog are often the ones with the most genetic health problems um frenchies went through a massive surge in popularity a couple of years ago and they knocked the labrador off the top spot as britain's most popular dog for the first time in 27 years and there was a huge huge increase in frenchies now many of those were not bred with responsibly with health testing the parents or selecting parents that had open nostrils and a good muzzle length and you know less kind of exposed eyes lots of them were just bred because there was a frenchie craze and everyone jumped on it and some breeders cashed in on that because there was a massive um, demand for them the next one we're seeing now is the miniature dachshund and yeah we all think a sausage dog is really cute and comical looking but the fact is that a third one in three miniature dachshund puppies born in every litter will need spinal surgery in their lifetime for a prolapsed disc, which is extremely painful and can lead to paralysis. Um, and that's not an inexpensive surgery. So you're dealing with one in three chance when you buy a mini Dachshund puppy that you're going to have absolute heartbreak and financial um, issues in future because its spine is going to, uh, spinal disc is going to rupture and cause it immense pain. So I think we need to think as consumers, as dog lovers, as dog breeders, as the higher powers that be, like Crufts and the Kennel Club, why are we still producing dogs and breeding dogs that are destined to suffer? 
And certain other countries have come up with legislation to counter that um, called Qualzucht or torture breeding legislation, where they say, if you breed an animal destined to suffer, if the offspring that you're producing from your breeding program are destined to suffer because of preventable problems that you could have, um, you know, bred out or, or bred better, you're liable um, for prosecution under animal welfare laws. Now, that's the extreme. But I think the UK government needs to take these kind of things a bit more seriously than it currently does. Yeah, it does. I mean, we do have still, yeah, I mean, I showed up on, in Crufts last year. It was my first Crufts ever. And I've actually been extremely reluctant to go to these kind of shows because it, it gets me. It gets me. I believe mm. in rescue dogs. I believe in mongrels. Uh, Robbie was a rescue, uh, rescue puppy. Maltese, I would have never bought a Maltese Terrier in my life because I know they are so overbred and everything like that. I, I really, really believe that... Um, is it necessary? Is it necessary to get these breeds? It's, it's so old fashioned. It's so outdated in a way. Getting a breed. Why a breed? Why? Why can't you get the dog that needs, you know, a home across? I know it's hard to get rescue because there's a lot, a much different subject to it. To have to look after rescue. There's a lot of work and education behind it. But there's so many dogs out there that need a home. So for me, it just doesn't make much sense. I was just going to say, I don't, re- I don't judge people for deciding. You know, some people will decide we'd like to get a puppy. We'd like to have a puppy from the very start. Um, you know, certain dogs, dog breeds are, you know, designed to do certain jobs. And, you know, there's a, still a role there. But I just always warn people that just because you're buying a pedigree or a purebred dog, let's lose the snobbery or the kind of association around those words that it's, it's a quality dog or it's better than a crossbreed or a mongrel or a mutt it's not oftentimes a pedigree a pedigree is just a piece of paper that shows you how related your dog is to its ancestors or who its ancestors are it's not a sign of quality and often it can be a sign that actually your dog doesn't have very much genetic diversity and might be more prone to genetic health um, problems or disease than a dog that's outcrossed with lots of different bloodlines and lots of different genetic mixes and um, can be can be a lot more healthy. So I think we need to lose this fascination with um, what breed of dog do you like? Just get a dog, get a type of dog that's suitable to your lifestyle. You know, if you have a really active life, um, you know, a, t- a working type breed or a collie type breed, you know, you're an experienced dog owner, they might suit you. If not, you know, get a little crossbreed toy cross or you know terrier cross but we don't have to be fixated on breeds or as i kind of say sometimes brands of dog exactly exactly and i mean i could talk to you about this forever but we have to move on to the the, the subject in hand which is separation anxiety yes. uh, but, but just before before we go there why did you become involved with tails.com can you tell me a little bit about tails.com because i know they do they're very, very specific with nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually studied um, animal science first, and then I went back as a graduate to study veterinary medicine. And um, in my animal science degree, we did a lot of animal nutrition and physiology. And it was always a, a, a science subject that really fascinated me and the things that um, are influenced by nutrition, how we can influence health and disease and even longevity always fascinated me. So I went kind of the traditional route of a a kind of vet I went into small animal GP first opinion practice when I graduated as a vet Um, and I worked in various practices and and treated mainly domestic and exotic pets and um, I did it for six years and I suppose partially 
I got a little bit bored of, you know, the repetition of six years of first opinion practice um, and kind of referring out kind of very interesting cases or challenging cases to referral hospitals. And um, it just became quite repetitive. And I wondered, well, what will I do next? Shall I specialize in something or shall I um, carry on in GP or shall I open my own practice? Um, And I actually decided to take a little bit of a break from clinical life um, because I kind of I've always been... um, a little bit entrepreneurial. I had my own business uh, during vet school in garden design, believe it or not. Um, and I've just done lots of things over the course of time. And, and I think having that more rounded um, experience and going into veterinary as a graduate, I just had a bit of a broader spec on like what I could do with my career than maybe someone going into vet school age 18. And uh, I started looking around and putting the feelers out um, for what kind of industry vet jobs were out there um, with nutrition in the back of my mind. And just good luck and timing uh, meant that I met the CEO of Tails.com in the very early days, shortly after it had started. And they were looking for um, a vet to come on board. They had a vet in the very early days setting it up, um, but he had left. So I talked to them and I thought, if they're truly doing like individual tailored diets, bespoke nutrition on an individual dog basis using really clever technology. That sounds super exciting. I want to be part of it. And it turned out they were. So I joined and uh, here I am five years later as, as head vet and absolutely loving it. They're using algorithms. Is that correct? It's a whole kind of science. Yeah, <laughs> we're a tech we're a tech business doing um, bespoke animal nutrition for the individual. So I don't understand the genius of the tech guys that have built the algorithm. But my role will be advising on the nutrition, what kind of health needs and dietary needs we need to cater for. So we basically the way it works is you tell us all about your dog in a two or three minute consultation online and we use all that information we need to feed into the algorithm and select the type of foods from our range that would suit your pet and combine them into a nutritious kind of recipe and meal plan and a feeding plan that will keep your dog at a healthy weight for its life and that will meet its nutritional needs all through its life from age six weeks up to um, old age so it's all modeled on existing scientific knowledge on the nutritional requirements of dogs sounds amazing i think i tried some i got uh, some samples from tells.com in the past and uh, oh, great. Robbie did yeah. eat it but i i sort of i mix i mix up things i i go from one to the other and uh, he has a paw licking <laughs> problem he's licking his paw like crazy since years oh, he's driving he? me insane i've put him on science plan and everything it hasn't worked it's a nervous lick it's constant okay. it's it's worse it actually which leads me to the main subject it's worse since we've been spending 24 7 together the paw licking has become worse <laughs> and it's a it's i, I almost think right. comfort licking or something like that so talking about separation anxiety well when i think of separation we're talking about puppies here who have never ever been separated from their owners 59% of new mm. lockdown puppies have not been separated from their owners. What do you mean in terms of, are we talking about a minute, five minutes, two minutes, 30 minutes? Um, I don't have the exact figure um, to hand, but we're talking about you know a significant period of time, like an hour or two away from, or a couple of hours out of the home. Like we're not talking about just nipping down the shop and coming home, but a, a significant block of the day being away from their um, their their parent or their owner. Um, so these puppies that you know have been bought during the pandemic have had a really um, strange start to life. You know, this is the weirdest year we've all been through. Um, we've all had to adjust and change, and it's 
not been normal life. We've been climbing, I don't know about you, but you know, I've been climbing the walls in my um, one bedroom flat in London. I'm like, I need to get out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm going nuts. There's so much, there's only so much yoga you can do in one room. I mean, honestly, I, I, I've, oh, I just want to leave my place. 10 years. I know. I took, I took up yoga to try and find some Zen uh, during lockdown. So um, I feel your pain. But yeah, I mean, we haven't been able to get out much. We haven't um, been kind of in normal life. We've been working from home, a lot of us. Um, so the, if the puppy, you know, that was born into this pandemic, um, all it knows in its lifetime is that, you know, my people are around all the time and I only have to you know, like walk to the next room and there I've got like attention on demand. You know, so these puppies will go through a really, or young dogs now, will go through a really um, crazy adjustment period when life starts to go back to normal. And what we've done at Tales.com with this research we've put out, we surveyed over a thousand of our customers to find out how they're coping and what their worries are coming out. And the biggest worry by far, one in three new puppy owners said they're worried about leaving their puppy for long periods now when we go back to normal. So separation anxiety is a behavior that we're probably going to see a lot more of. Um, and what we've done is we've created a puppy hub on tails.com's website. Um, it's there on the homepage and it's really helpful, practical tips of things that you can do right now, because we've got a lead up time to, to life going back to normal. Now is the time to start putting some training and some effort in place to teach our puppies that, do you know what? It's okay to be alone. It's okay to have a little bit of detachment from us and not be at our side 24-7. And it can be as simple. The first simple step would be putting up a stair gate or, you know, closing a door where you're working from home so that your dog can't be at your side 24-7 and they learn to settle in the next room or downstairs. Um, stepping that up, you could, you know, get your dog into doggy daycare now one day a week just to give them a bit of a break up in their routine. And that has a double whammy effect of improving their socialization and their social skills around other people and other dogs. Um, and then this sounds a bit silly, but I've been talking about this quite a lot. If you anticipate that your dog is going to have separate separation anxiety when things go back to normal, start now building up the time you leave home and leave them at home on their own. So it can be as simple as sort of overloading them with the kind of um, behavior departure cues we all give out when we're about to leave. So picking up your keys, putting on your shoes, putting on your coat, going out the front door and returning again seconds later and breaking that psychological connection that your dog has that if you get up to leave, suddenly it's the end of the world and you're going to be gone for ages and they're going to get really anxious. Actually, if they learn that that happens 20 times a day and they have no idea how long, how many minutes you're going to be outside the front door, you always return, nothing bad happens. It re-triggers their, or retrains their brain to think it's not the end of the world if she leaves for a few minutes. It's not the end of the world if she's gone for half an hour or an hour. You know, you start to build it up gradually over the next few weeks and your dog will become more adjusted to the fact that you are going to be gone in a few months down the line for longer periods. Exactly. And they don't have a sense of time, do they? A three minute, uh, you know, leaving a dog three minute at home or four hours at home. Um, is that a big difference to a dog? They have less of a sense of time, but um, they still do kind of, they do kind of feel it. And I think it's what they're used to. So if they're used to, you know, kind of short and frequent departures, um, you know, that that's a good thing because you can build up then to longer periods. But yeah, I would agree that, you know, the difference between a two hour stint and a four hour stint um, being on their own, if they're already anxious about it, um, is, is 
basically the same. You can still have the same vocalizations like howling, barking, crying. Um, you can still have the same destructive behaviors of chewing this furniture or like licking or chewing their feet, for example, or chewing at barriers is quite common with separation anxiety because they want to get to the next room. So they'll chew doors or skirting boards or window ledges, things like that, um, in really extreme cases. Um, or um, toileting, lack, loss of house training because they're so anxious and kind of caught up and, and that, that they um, poo or wee on the floor, even if they're house trained. So those are the extreme symptoms of separation anxiety, but some dogs have milder symptoms and it might just be whining and pacing and things like that as well. I have a senior dog. I mean, my dog is nine and he was left sometimes for four hours on his own before the dog walker would come and then break up the day. I would have eight, nine hour shifts. Yeah. It never was a problem. And in those two to three months that I have not been working, i.e. going out to do shift work, he's completely changed. He's barking. Yeah. I, I, I want to go to Sainsbury's. I hear, rah, 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 and I hear, and I come back, there's a cry. I am terrified because I'm take on a carer's job and I will have to go away overnights and things like that. But I just, uh, I mean, with a dog that's done it for eight years, he will slowly go back into his normal behavior, I'm sure, you know? Yeah, I think a dog, an older dog, this does, we've called it the puppy hub, you know, but it's, it is advice for all dogs. So an older dog will probably adjust better back to kind of the, the normal routine, more so than a dog that's been born into this. And it's the first time in their life they've experienced the kind of new routine, but it just requires consistency. And I would also say, I, I talk about this a lot, like, let's not forget that a year in our nine-year-old dog's life is a significant portion of their lifetime. It's more than the a year equivalent for us. So it's like us being in you know not solitary confinement but it's like us having been in lockdown for six years or seven years and then coming out of it and going i'm gonna to have to really adjust again so it's understandable that older dogs as well will have a period of adjustment with this um but now is the time to start tackling that and start addressing it because there's no point whatsoever trying to solve this problem the week before you go back to full-time work you know absolutely absolutely um so so the what do you think about treats using rewards uh, should we use the reward when we come back in should we give some treats before we i mean there's so many methods i've been consulted by 20 different people i don't know what i'm doing anymore where the treats belong should i give a treat should i ignore him how does it work yeah that's a great question and yeah there's always differences of opinion and there's lots of confusing information and an experts on the internet telling you one thing another person telling you another um i would say yeah the place for um treats and rewards is probably the best way to use them is as occupiers while you're gone so you know using kind of filled kongs or feed puzzle toys and stuff like that to occupy your dog and give them something to do is a part of the way we manage you know getting our dogs used to entertaining themselves on their own or being settled on their own i wouldn't um say treating your dog as soon as you come come home is a good idea because although anxiety is um an emotion it's a natural emotion we can't train our dog not to be anxious if they're anxious they're anxious let's accept the fact that my dog is anxious that's the emotion he or she is going through we're not going to try and train anxiety out of them but what we want to do is we want to break the link or prevent the, the psychological link in how they learn that their anxious behavior got them the reward they wanted so 
for example, if we've gone out of the home for 30 minutes, 20 minutes, and the dog is kind of pacing the hallway behind the door and doesn't know when you're coming back or goes and settles on the couch, but then hears your your car coming up the road and they go and they're like, oh my God, she's home. She's going to be home soon. I'm really, ang-, you know, and they start to ramp up that anxiety again. And then you come in the door and go, oh my God, Monty, I'm home. I've, I've saved you. I'm so glad to see you. What might happen in Monty's mind there is, oh, thank God she's home. And, I, you know, I was doing this and now I think that's probably why she's home. So they make a connection that their behavior, you know, has had a part in that. It's a classic example is why do dogs bark at the postman? Dogs bark at the postman because the postman comes to the door, rattles the letterbox, they bark and the postman clears off down the driveway. They think they've done a good job. They think they've fended off the postman. Oh, but it's such a subject this thing with rewards and treats and i i'm not a big fan of treats robbie has always been great and i don't do a lot of rewards and things like that because he's just been such an easy dog i didn't even have to train him he's just followed by the but i should you know this whole reward thing and it's very confusing when do you give a reward when not but this thing with the postman is phenomenal i have no idea that's why they're barking so did you say they think they're They've done a good job. Yeah, normally they're barking. In a, in the postman example, it's either fear aggression or aggression isn't a bad word. Aggression is a tool in a dog's um, communication box to, to tell a dog or a person, please stay back. I don't want you to come any further. So it's a, it's a normal part of dog's um, communication. And so with the postman example, you know, it's either fear aggression. They're worried. Who is this strange person coming up to my door? which is the barrier to, you know, my home environment, my sanctuary, my family's sanctuary, rattling the door aggressively. That sounds very intrusive to a dog and putting things in. Dogs hate that because they're like, there's an intruder. (laughs) There's an intruder right outside at the perimeter about to come in the threshold of our home. And dogs do have a territorial nature in their home. So they they react with um, aggressive threat display. So they'll growl or they'll bark or they'll run up to the door and they'll stand there with their hackles raised. And that's a a natural canine communication tool. Um, But what happens is that behavior becomes reinforced or rewarded every day, sometimes multiple times per day if you've got two post deliveries. Because what happens when the dog barks at the door? The postman, because he's got a shift or she's got a shift to do, walks off down the the way and up the road and gets into their van and and leaves. And the dog runs to the window and sees that happening and goes, okay, phew, that worked. I'll do that again tomorrow. So it becomes an ingrained behavior. (laughs) So the postman should really stay at the door and not be intimidated or not walk away, spend some time with the dog, ideally. And then the dog would understand that he doesn't need to bark. I, I, I get it. I get it. So it's, it's a kind of communication thing. Yeah, it, there's lots of dogs that like love the postman coming because their owner has spent time actually introducing the puppy to the postman as a great positive experience in their early socialization period. And now the dog is like, yay, it's the postman coming to say hello. And they run down the path and wag, wag their tail and give the postman a lick. And it's like one of the highlights of their day, you know, but that just doesn't happen very often in normal life. And that's why traditionally postmen and dogs do not get on. <laughs> Did you hear that, Robbie? We can't get any post anymore. Did you hear that? Well, I just because we have such little time, uh, I just wanted to say, um, do you believe a lot of uh, would it work? Because I'm a dog yoga teacher, it doesn't mean that I do dog yoga with the dogs. Actually, dog is yoga for you, human. 
and dogs. Yeah. So there's a yeah. connection there. Would you see that yoga would be something of help to use with this separation anxiety? Because isn't it often so that a lot of it happens in us first, the separation anxiety, or potentially the guilt, to work on guilt, to work on the worst case scenario, yes. you know, because yoga, it's all about breathing. And, and would you see this as something beneficial as, as a, for the transition, something like a yogic dog yoga class? For owners yeah potentially because i think you've you've hit the nail on the head there by saying you know our energy that we give off our nerves our anxiety actually can transfer to our dogs our dogs are very good at reading us and knowing what kind of emotional state we're in and you know the, the classic example of what i've talked about undoing and unpicking is that false departure and giving the all the departure cues but then nothing bad happens gradually building it up to more time outside actually what can happen and the natural thing for us to do sometimes is we ramp up our dog's anxiety when we start to leave because we go don't worry manny i'll, I'll be back soon you know it'll be okay mom will be back in an hour and you're talking to the dog and you're sort of winding them up in terms of anxiety and they don't really understand what you're saying but they're like oh god she's gonna go now and i'm gonna be on my own again and they learn to associate all of that patter that we do or the anxiety cues that we give to our dog by let's put a load of treats in your bowl or let's do something really good you know to compensate um those can be things that actually ramp up the anxiety so i would say yeah doing yoga with your dog and and kind of being more in tune and being more relaxed around them actually could be a good tool to help um help alleviate anxiety hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home go to prettylitter.com and use code acast for 20 percent off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer Softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Vernon Kay. And I'm Holly Mackay. And we're here to tell you about our brand new podcast, Parenting Past the Pandemic, brought to you by Aviva. Yes, we're going to be delving into a whole heap of parenting topics from the generational gap to online safety. And some of the big topics which have come up through the pandemic, such as helping to manage our kids' anxieties and how we can affect the world they'll grow into. Parenting Past the Pandemic. Find it wherever you found this podcast.
It's fantastic. And on that note, because we have so little time, are you ready for a little doga exercise? Actually, it's a yoga exercise <laughs> I'm more ready. than a doga because because you don't have a dog. So what I will do is Robbie's it's very hard with this laptop to get this right, but here he is. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to just good. show you something and potentially it's just something that will, I mean, you could use this to advise people. It's a, it's a fantastic exercise. This is called the left nostril breathing. Have you done this before? Left nostril breathing um, in I yoga? I think so, yeah, but refresh my memory. So, uh, if you have a bit of a blocked nose, it's embarrassing to do this. Is sometimes some weird sounds come out. But anyway, um, just, you know, <laughs> stay calm. Imagine you're in a yoga class now. You're going to take your right thumb and you're going to close off your right nostril yeah. like this. And all we're going to do is breathe through the left nostril in and out very slowly. I'm going to step back so nobody can hear my nose. So, slowly on the inhale... Breathing, the lips stay closed, and then exhale through the left. I love the way you make a fist with your hand. This is so Irish. You look, you really look like the, the Irish, like an Irishman doing the, and I'm like extended fingers here. Uh, so yeah, just relax. A class. <laughs> left nostril. Inhale slowly. Up to five counts, slow counts, exhaling. Just listen to the sound of your breath. Slowly inhale. And slowly exhale. Really good. Just notice the difference as you inhale what happens to the brain. Really work on a long inhale. Nice. It's very good. Exhale. And slowly inhale. And slowly exhale. And already just slowly breathe through your nose, take your hands down. And so what you would do now, you maybe would do about five minutes of this. You should notice a difference already. A little bit light. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You, what you can like do here. Woozy. I know. So what we're going to do is continue to breathe through our nose. And slowly exhale. And what you would do now is maybe if your dog is here, just a gentle sort of like ear massage and continue to inhale. And slowly exhale until your dog is settled. And then you would just continue, maybe just placing a hand there and continue your left nostril breathing with your dog. And just place one hand there and slowly inhale. Same. Slowly exhale. What it does is... As you settle your central nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in through left nostril breathing. And just settle your hand there and slow down, noticing your heart rate 
dropping. Your dog may sense it through the other palm of the hand. See what I mean? So he's just not even massaging, but just placing a hand there and just working on the left nostril breathing. And until you've settled in your parasympathetic central nervous system and all the anxiety is gone and all the stress, because it does, within 10 minutes, you have no more thought. It's maybe a good time yeah. then when you're very calm to start massaging the dog. Sometimes we just do massage without consciousness, without present moment awareness. We think too much and we're massaging the dog and doing all this, but our thoughts are somewhere else. When you feel settled through the central nervous system, your hands are different. You move differently. You feel things different. And so the massage, whatever massage technique you want to use, becomes a bit more authentic and truthful. And you will sense where your dog wants to be touched. And it's more of an allowing rather than a doing. And through the allowing, you also learn to allow things to happen, which is so crucial because the letting go part in the separation anxiety, uh, the part of letting go, of going, of letting go is incredibly difficult. So I don't know what you think, but the sort of kind of just hands-on massage, practicing massage, practicing the breathing for this preparation of departure may be of good, of use. Um, to people but it just requires a little bit of effort as well to yeah. first work on yourself then the dog that's it yeah i think you might be onto something i think anything that promotes kind of really calm relaxation and dampening down that um kind of uh sympathetic fight flight anxiety state is is definitely a good idea isn't it and it's exactly in us. We have to fight right the same way as dogs do. And the, it resides actually anatomically. Yeah. The, the tension resides in the same place in a human body or yeah. the canine body, which is so important. Yoga is really something that you can, uh, that I'm trying to explore a bit more in a scientific thing anyway. But um, yeah. there's there's room, room for yoga and meditation, these kind of things. I think it really would be quite helpful because a lot of people just don't understand where they're coming from psychologically first, then the dog. Yeah. That's, that's the key, yeah. I think, to a lot of the training. Absolutely. Sean, you must move on to your next interview, but <laughs> it's just been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving your time. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And we no would worries. Love it's been great. Really good to meet you. Thank you. And we're always, I'm always here for Doga, for any yeah, Doga tips. No worries. Love to be on your podcast. And um, <laughs> yes, and I just wanted to say also good luck with the um, educating part. Um, and let's just say there is hope for these puppies. There is hope. It's not such a big deal. We can we can do it, can't we? Yeah. Absolutely. We can do it now. So I think 
you know, if you're worried about these kind of things and, you know, adjusting back to normal life, we've created an amazing puppy hub on tails.com. Just head on over and you can get lots of helpful tips. And I would also say that if you're really struggling, you know, if things aren't going well, there's help out there. I highly, highly recommend an, a kind of professional animal behaviorist. They're worth their weight in gold. They can work with you and your dog and observe what's going on because oftentimes it's subtle little things that you might not think are significant are actually contributing to the problem so do hire a professional they're well worth um the the kind of fee and in a couple of sessions they can actually do wonders for your anxious dogs absolutely on that note i'm gonna bring my palms together and say namapa namaste and namapa namapa. joining us and have a wonderful day thank you so much manny Thanks for listening to Conversations with My Dog. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It helps others to find us. And talking of spreading the news, please tell another person about the podcast and help us reach more people and dogs. We'll be back with another episode, same time, same place, next week. Namapa. 